Chris, how much of the Olympics have you been keeping up with? Christian, my friend, um, <clears throat> how much of the Olympics have I been keeping up with? I mean, I've been watching it. It's definitely the default sort of background TV at the moment, like instead of kind of Netflix, uh, you know, Superstore's fifth rewatch or something going on in the background. It's always the Olympics in the background. So How making dinner and then you're, you know, watching the, uh, you know, women's all around gymnastics just kind of in the background or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I find myself at like quarter after 10 in the morning over a coffee, just getting so invested in, uh, you know, the third game of the women's softball or something, you know, just, just ravenous. Like, get after it. Run, run. You know, no, man, 55-kilogram I... weightlifting category. That's where it's at. <laughs> yeah. Have you been watching? You've been keeping up with it? I have been. Um, although I will admit the Olympic coverage, obviously myself being in the United States, NBC has been doing a unbelievably terrible job. It is – their coverage is um, – it's, it's, it's frankly just bleeping awful. So I'm genuinely curious. I So I'll have my own thoughts on this in a moment. But what what do you – if you, if someone was to, des, to ask you to describe how is it awful, how would you say that it's awful? Two reasons. One of which is in the United States, there is now a streaming service called Peacock TV owned mm, by NBC. Yes. Okay. In order to watch the Olympics live – you have to pay for Peacock TV. Okay, that's that's pretty bad to start with. Yeah. So NBC, so I, you know, um, obviously time change and all that, they're 13 hours ahead, I think. So obviously a lot of it happens overnight, and I get that. But I'm, you know, tuning in to something, and it's when, like, there should be Olympics live happening at that moment. Like, I'm thinking, even with the time change in my mind, I'm like, no, it's like noon in Tokyo. Something is happening live that I should be able to watch. Mm. I have four different Olympic channels on my TV, NBC, NBC Sports, USA, Olympic Channel. And I go on and it's like, Tokyo, you know, 2020 Tokyo Olympics live, uh, swimming, track, women's gymnastics. And I'm like, cool. I click on it and it's the women's softball game from the day before that I already know the score. <laughs> or like I'm watching something and I'm like, I've seen – this Japanese guy win gold on the pole vault before <laughs> a lot of times, a lot How, of times. So is this on Peacock then? Or like, is that part just on regular cable? No, the part I'm talking about is on regular cable. So like okay, I okay, have okay. not seen, I have not seen an Olympic event actually live since it began. Wow. Wow. And it's yeah, because the normal NBC channels, they're just, they're just, it's, they're just showing encore. But when you look at it and like on, I have Verizon, in the US. And if you look at on the top right corner of the TV guide, it'll tell you if it's a new episode of something or if it's live, you know, it'll say live in red. And it says live, women's gymnastics, swimming, whatever. And I'll go on. And like I said, it's the first round match of the men's tennis that happened two days ago. And I'm like, I yeah. already know this. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it's that like, is pretty bad. Yeah. So I don't understand. And I will admit this is my homerism, and I'm talking about my Canadian homerism. Obviously, everything in the United States is about the Americans, right? And so I'm watching uh, men's uh, individual all-around gymnastics one day, and all it shows you is, like, the top four people and then where the Americans sit. So <laughs> right. it was, like, the top four and then Americans at, like, 9, 10, and 12, which, like, I get. But then I'm just like, where the hell is the Canadian guy? And like, the way it's I kind of want to know what he is. 
the way it's presented on TV, of course, is that like they don't show that gap. So you have to like be looking at the numbers to understand because otherwise you would just say, oh, look, one, two, three. There's no Americans there. But wow, Americans finished fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh and eighth. Wow. Incredible. Now, I'm sure if I were at home watching CBC, I'm there's going to be Canadian homerism there. I I, I get. Oh, that. yeah. It's brutal um, as well. Like, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, like it, I get I get that. But like. Because I'm a Canadian, maybe I just want my Canadian homerism. And I'm just like, I don't like good for this is not taking away anything from any American athlete. That's not what I'm trying to imply. But like, I don't care about the guy that finished 27th in the decathlon. Like, I just want to see the I want to see the top 10. Like, I want to write like, do you know what I mean? Like, that's that's what I want to see. In so many ways, all of us watch the Olympics like a tiny bit of watching the Olympics is for your own country. I think particularly for rivalries. So Canada played America in softball, loved that game. I mean, Canada may play America in soccer, loved that game. I mean, obviously the rivalries, national pride, it's a big part of it. You feel proud whenever a Canadian wins a medal. No question. But also at the same time, we're all watching because we are really interested in the human stories. We're interested in the first athlete from Equatorial Guinea. We're interested in, you know, the the challenges that someone from Syria has faced as they've trained to get to this point. Those are the, the stories Filipino that we athlete, want. You know? the, fin- the Filipino athlete that won the first gold medal for the Philippines since yeah, absolutely. like 97 years. Like that's yeah, the thing that I yeah. like, that's the reason I want to watch those things. And I feel like a lot of that gets missed Yeah, in, yeah, in a lot of ways. And that I'm not just saying that necessarily from an American specific perspective, because I'm sure CBC and, you know, does the same thing, right? They're focusing on their country's athletes. I get that, but there's, there's some level of, we're here to watch the world perform that I feel like gets missed yeah, by absolutely. the coverage. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Well, looking at a more positive angle to it, Christian, what are your thoughts on, you know, the Olympics this year has all kinds of new sports, skateboarding and sport climbing. Unbelievable. Um, what are your thoughts on all these new sports? So I'm all for new sports. I guess my, I, I will sit here and admit, and, uh, and I'm not saying that I don't think skateboarding should be, an Olympic sport. Um, but what I'm saying is, is as somebody who knows so little about it, other than Tony Hawk pro skater two, I'm not going to be that interested in it. And that's only because of a lack of knowledge, right? Like if they go out there and do some trick, I don't, I don't know what's good. And so from that standpoint, I'm like, Ooh, he got a 15.96. Oh yeah. I thought he was really more like a (laughs) 16.43. Like I don't, so I just don't have enough knowledge. I absolutely am going to tune into a lot of these. I think the surfing one is going to be very interesting. Mm, Super cool. Um, I think that's super cool. Also, isn't there like a tropical storm headed for Japan? So like, I'm (laughs) really curious about how they're going to pull that one off. Extreme degree of difficulty. Yeah. If you survive gold medal. Um, (laughs) But if like sport climbing, like Olympic, it's, it's Olympic rock climbing, right? Like we're not, like I'm not simplifying it by, by saying that again, I don't understand how they're doing it but i'm very very intrigued so i'm all (laughs) for it because now i'm just picturing so in my mind this is what it is it's 
American gladiators where they have to race to the top and they get like a five second head start on the gladiator and then the guy has to catch him. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? You know Absolutely. what I'm talking about? Yeah. So like that's that's what I'm picturing. Like I'm just picturing like thunder, <laughs> nitro, blaze, yeah. like waiting at the bottom. And then this, like, you know, whatever, like, Slovenian gets a five-second head start and just has to climb for his ever-loving life to get away from Nitro. Yeah, sport climbing chase. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent I could get behind that. I mean, these are these are incredible athletes. You know, absolutely, there's no question, especially sport climbing. I mean, these are people who are at the top of their athletic physical peak in their lives. So, I mean, I really do enjoy that, but I totally hear what you're saying about not fundamentally understanding the sports and that kind of taking away from it. I will say that I think to me a little bit, that does unfortunately extend to like 80 to 90% of the sports that are occurring. Basically, unless, unless it's a who gets to the finish line first type of sport, I have a major difficulty understanding. I was watching synchronized diving the other day you know, and I see these love two me in- some three and a half tuck in a bike <laughs> yeah, position. Yeah. You know, watching these incredible athletes do just like this amazing thing in what to me looks like absolute perfect harmony. You know, they both dive into the pool, they hit at the same time, little splashes come up, a little bit of applause, and I think, wow, God, athletes are amazing. And right away, the commentators are, ooh, that's really gonna hurt. Did you see the 15 degree rotation? And I'm thinking, I don't know. I don't know anything about anything anymore. These these people are amazing. Who am I? And then I have a small midlife crisis and turn off the television. But yeah, Olympics. I'm loving it. But I think that's, I think that falls on us, right? Like I think that's, we you know people tuned into the Olympics to be entertained. Um, and I mean, it's, I mean, it's competitive sports. So there is an entertainment factor to it. But I think that the um, difficulty of which these either routines or like you said, dives or whatever it is are our lack of understanding is not their fault. Um, And so, right. And so, and that's where I think a lot of the, um, I don't necessarily want to say like discouragement behind some of the less popular sports, for example, but um, I know when I'm watching Olympic soccer or tennis or golf or baseball, you know, the more pop, I say popular, I'm using air quotes, even though it's an audio medium, but, um, you know, we know what is good and what is not right. And so our better understanding of that gives us a better appreciation for it. Um, even swimming, I'll admit, you know, there's a lot of, you know, as they're coming through the third turn and they're just like, Oh, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And I'm just like, okay, Michael Phelps, I believe you because you're (laughs) Michael Phelps. Um, but like, I'm not picking up what you're putting down, which is, which is on me. Like it's on, that's on the viewer in some cases, which is why, like I said, I am going to watch sport climbing and skateboarding and surfing (laughs) with a very keen, curious eye. Um, but it's going to be from, uh, I'm going to try and and educate myself a little bit from this and not just, you know, think that it's going to be me playing, like I said, Tony Hawk Pro Skater on, right, on right. Uh, whatever gaming console. And for whatever it's worth, speaking of Tony Hawk Pro Skater, which I now just have this massive urge to play. Thank you very much. I um, I have to say, I, you know, as part of our prep for this podcast, I made a list of some of my favorite Summer Olympic sports. Spoiler, I know we're going to get to that a little bit later, but one of my one of mine that made it onto the list from this year was skateboarding. I really, really enjoyed it. And to me, I think one of the reasons that I enjoy it is that unlike any skateboarding thing that you watch on TV, X Games or, you know, whatever it is, 
um, you don't, I don't think you, you pick up as much, you don't appreciate the global nature of skateboarding. Mm. And it was so interesting to see, especially the Japanese individual win uh, the gold, gold medal in his event. It's just so interesting to see skateboarding become this massive global phenomenon. When I think when you and I were growing up, <clears throat> it was a little bit more of a American export. I think it was considered a little bit more kind of caught up with American culture. You know, X games was American, Tony Hawk's American. Um, but uh, seeing skateboarding have that kind of international flavor, I thought was really, really cool. Chris, I'm curious, what are your thoughts on just the entire kind of Olympic experience with COVID? I realize that's a oh, bit of a loaded question, um, but I think today Japan had its like record high of cases. It was almost like 3,200, and I, I found myself guilty almost watching it because Japan. Sorry, I'm not going to be. I'm not blaming Japan. That's not what I'm trying to imply. But I feel like the rest of the people are like, yeah, it's fine, you know. As of, <laughs> as whereas like 3,200 people are now getting COVID every day, and. But we're still just kind of like, but the 1500, am I right? And so I, I, I struggle with that dichotomy a little bit. I'm just curious. Do you have, do you have that feeling? Do you have any thoughts on that? Oh boy. I mean, uh, <clears throat> do I have thoughts that won't end up causing me to put my foot in my mouth five episodes down the road? No, probably not. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm boy, this is such a tough one. I feel like, um, part, one of the things I didn't understand was, um, a few months ago, in the lead up to the Olympics, they said, you know, one thing that we do know is that they can't delay it another year. Um, be, you know, they'll just cancel it rather than delay it a second year. And I was just sitting there thinking, like, so you can invest probably a billion dollars in infrastructure for an event. But for whatever reason, we've just made these rigid confines where you can delay it one year, but if you delay it two years, you might as well cancel it. So to me, I just didn't understand that kind of all or nothing mentality. Um, stuck within the confines of an all or nothing mentality, I can see their additional desire to get it done, not only with the infrastructure they've invested, but I think moreover, you know, the athletes can choose not to be there and they've all chosen to be there. And I think that speaks volumes for for them wanting to go. And I mean, they're not all homogenous. Athletes are independent, individual. We've seen some of them prefer not to go and all power to them. Totally support them. Yeah, but I think we've theirs. seen I think we've seen by the number who've chosen to go how important this is for them. And I think for their sake and for their, how much training they've done for it, I, I am happy uh, that it's going on. Of course, it does kind of raise that second question. <clears throat> you know, I was reading an article the other day about how, um, you know, one uh, one public health unit in the United States was reporting that over 95% of their current ICU caseload of COVID was from unvaccinated individuals. Um, and it does beg the question that for those 3,200 cases in Japan, how many of them, how many of those people um, were able to get a vaccine, not people who for their own uh, health reasons that they can't choose for themselves, hypercoagulability, immunosuppression, chemotherapy, whatever it is, can't get a vaccine. That's a unique group. But the, the group of people who are healthy and able to get a vaccine and choose not to, and then become infected, to what extent are, are our public health measures designed to protect people who are choosing not to get that in themselves? Um, and so it does kind of, I think it, it does change the equation is all I'm saying from last year when nobody could get vaccinated and everybody was at risk of no choosing of their own. Whereas now 
people who are becoming infected are most typically people who have made an individual choice not to seek vaccination, which again is their independent and individual right, but they're accepting a risk that comes along with it. So to me, if they said, okay, we're having the Olympic Games uh, so that the athletes can compete, we're only going to admit vaccinated people, um, and we're going to keep crowds out of it. I understand. I understand why they want to do that, um, but it is a complicated issue. What do you feel about it, Christian? I, uh, in the sake of getting this episode started fully, I'll only just make one, <laughs> one, one comment, which is just, and I don't, and I say this with complete naivety, um, which is that I understand wanting to get the Olympics on again from a Japan standpoint. They spent all of this money you know, building all of these things to bring the world to them, but they brought nobody with them. So I guess my question is, is it worth it to, you mentioned, you know, a billion dollars in infrastructure, this, that, and the other thing, but then to have literally nobody there. Mm-hmm. So they're not making uh, tourism dollars, um, ticket sales, uh, merchandise, all that type of stuff. I'm sure there's TV contracts and things that help with that and all those types of things. But I mean, to put it on and to have all the money to put it on without any of the revenue that comes with it. Not that I'm saying the Olympics are specifically for revenue, but from a country standpoint, in order to put all this through and then to still do it just to have everything empty, I guess is is is, is a question that just kind of has me shrugging a little bit to say, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. if we're do- if we're doing this truly and only for the competitive sport then I understand that. Um, But I guess my cynical brain knows that it's not always the case and that often it is just how fast we can back the money truck up and and dump it. And so that's where I I can't imagine that Japan is operating at anything other than a several billion dollar deficit as a result of all this through no fault of their own because they didn't plan a a global pandemic. Um, But at that point, like you said, it's one of those do we don't we things not that i'm saying they should have canceled the olympics um i'm i know i'm really sitting here pointing out problems and not offering solutions but um yeah it just has me kind of shrugging a little bit the solution is they should have delayed it one more year you know i know it sucks but i just i fundamentally don't But then do you have summer and do you have summer and winter in the same year then Maybe you do. I mean, before, what was it? 1992. That's exactly what happened every single year. 1988, 1984, 1980, Winter Olympics, Summer Olympics, the same year. It's not a disaster to do that when there's a global pandemic. And like, yes, I mean, the but you like you built the infrastructure. Yes, it's a year older, but it's still there. Yes, it's the next Summer new. Olympics yeah. is going to come like a, you know, for the organizers of the next Olympics. What is that? Los Angeles? Paris? No, Paris. I forget which Paris and then Los Angeles. I, um, you know, for, for those organizers, it's still going to come at the same time. It won't impact them. You just do everything one summer later. But what do I know? I mean, I'm sitting here in my in my uh, spare bedroom in Ontario and I don't know anything about organizing a multinational event, but from or here, about or I'm about sure. Olympic diving, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, clearly. Either way, do you want to get this episode going? Load it up. All 
Ah, from America to Canada, let's go Bananada. This is the Dad Joke Loading Podcast. I'm Chris, he's Christian, and we're back for another week after a little uh, a little well-deserved vacation uh, to talk to you about all things fatherhood and uh, growing up um, with some sports and laughs and everything in between. Uh, we'd like to extend some thank yous to all the people that make this possible. Um, producer Ryan, thank you for all of your hard work. Uh, Michael Spicer, Michael Spicer Music, check him out. Um, Vishal Murthy, the vet cartoonist for our awesome illustration. And of course, our wonderful and beautiful wives and daughters um, who allow us to do this every single week. Christian, how are you, my friend? I'm doing pretty well. Um, can't really complain. Just obviously fresh back from uh, a week vacation. Um, so I was away with my wife and daughter for about nine days. So just settled in over the past couple of days back to the grind. But uh, otherwise doing pretty well. How about you? Uh, I'm doing well because I lived your vacation vicariously through all of those uh, texts and photos and videos. Man, that looked incredible. You got a little tan. You're glowing. You're glowing, Christian. I wish I could bottle your uh, your energy right now. This is actually, I kid you not, the most tan I've been in my entire life. Um, <laughs> and I worked as a landscaper for six summers. Five or six summers. So I was like outside working like 12 hours a day. This is by far the most tan I've been in my entire life. And now it's not very tan, um, but that's just how white I actually am uh, inside and out. But the uh, but being in Florida for eight days in, uh, you know, 33 degree heat with 187 percent humidity for eight days um, yeah, gets the, uh, gets a little pigment there on the old, uh, on the old covering there. So, uh, to uh, echo one of my favorite lines from Superstore, you could steam shellfish down there. Um, but I think it's because, I mean, you've been, you've been building up a little bit of that, little bit of that sweet tan with, uh, with the singlet action through the summer before you went right. Very clever to get that preparation going. I, uh, yes, I had, I think, I feel like I had to, uh, I mean, when I was planning on going to Florida, um, and spoiler alert, it was to Disney world, uh, <gasps> stay tuned for next week's episode. Um, but it, I, I felt like I couldn't go to Florida cold Turkey, right? Like I couldn't mm. go there and then right all of a the sudden fun. just be like, Haha. I couldn't go there and just be like, yeah, it'll be fine. Like my, I feel like my body had to warm up. Otherwise, I was going to burn for sure. I just know myself. Um, and so uh, – and the other thing I knew is that I don't do well with the heat. Um, give me the – like my house, like I, I crack windows open in the winter when I sleep. Like I am that type of person. Uh, and so I felt like I had to – alter my wardrobe a little bit so i went with the kind of like you said singlet uh tank top option because then at least you know the the pits were out um you know i could maybe uh, aerate a little bit more so yeah. i was i was practicing with those um in uh in the buffalo summer which of course is nothing like the florida summer but at least it's kind of a, a moderate step you know in the right direction so that i wasn't going to be then just full lobster when i got there and it worked i think um so uh, it also does help when you are traveling with a small child that you have your um small child versions of sunscreen so like all of our sunscreen was like 50 to 70 fps um, <laughs> you know because everything is for a child um and so that probably helped because if i was using normal 20 or 30 i'm sure i would have been uh i'm sure i would have been uh well cooked 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I like that. Uh, I mean, you allude there to the fact that in the singlet, you know, you, you stay a little breezier, you know, you get a little bit more aeration. I think, you know, we've, whether you've been to Disney World or not as a listener, we've all been in a hot, humid, stressful, crowded situation before. Um, and we know how difficult it can be to keep our cool as adults, even, uh, let alone when you're traveling with people. But Christian, um, you were traveling with a very small child and you were traveling on an aircraft for a long time with a very small child. I was. So um, I'm just going to ask you right off the bat, if you had to, you know, give your, um, your, your daughter a grade, you know, if you had to give your daughter a travel report card that she can't see until she's like 20 years old and she can look back and see whether she was a, a good traveler or a bad traveler. What uh, what letter grade uh, are you giving your daughter for this uh, for this vacation? A plus. Wow, wow. Honestly, well yeah. Valedictorian of the uh, traveling class. A full scholarship. Honestly, um, <laughs> we were so incredibly lucky with how well that she did, um, and from the plane rides to the multiple kind of switches and transportation. Of course you get to the airport, then you got to take some type of shuttle to your hotel, you know, all that type of stuff. She was honestly fantastic. I could not really have requested or expected much better at all. Um, but that being said, it was her third time on a plane. Um, so whether there's any some type of like subconscious level of familiarity, I don't know. Um, obviously, it's been the last time she was on a plane was the January just before the pandemic started. Um, so, I mean, it was about 18 months in between. And now so she was, you know, seven, eight months old then. And she was two, just over two years old this time around. Um, so obviously there were some differences there, whether there was, again, some inherent kind of remembrance of like, oh, yeah, this is a thing that happens or not. I have no idea. Um, yeah, but I'm she curious. did fantastic. So I, I'm, I'm guessing you're – I feel like I know the answer to this question based on what you just said. But I'm I'm going to guess – you know, I, I find it fascinating that we as humans like don't remember anything before the age of like, you know, three or whatever. We just essentially are blanks. Does your daughter now, being younger than three – remember being on a plane before like did she have any did she say anything or offer any recollection at all that indicated she's done this before no i don't think so i mean she that's such a curious she thing, know she knows what an airplane is but i think that's more just from like watching you know tv shows and things like that right, like she knows what an right, airplane right, is because right. she's seen it on like paw patrol or whatever peppa pig right. you know what i mean so she knows what an airplane is um do I think she has any actual like recall that she's just like, Oh yeah, this is a thing that we do. I don't think so. Um, but I mean, but, I mean, hell if I know, I mean, like I don't actually know. I mean, she didn't, you know, wasn't, she was just like, ah, window seat again. Am I right? You know, but, um, in that standpoint, but yeah, no, I, I don't think there was How any actual remembrance. How great would it be? She just turns to the guy sitting in the seat next to you. Ah, look at these. Another stale peanuts. When are they going to ever update these? Am I right? Uh, you know. Yeah, you look like you travel is a your, lot. Is your Wi-Fi working? Because I can't get mine to work. <laughs> no? Okay. So speaking of, um, you know, Wi-Fi and like things on the plane, um, one thing I'd love to chat about in a future episode is um, 
what what it was like to travel with my wife for our honeymoon. But one of the things that's challenging when you're traveling together for over many months together is we're packing in one suitcase. We're sharing that space. And so I have to think, Christian, just extrapolating from that, but adding a human to it, how difficult is it to pack for a toddler um, in addition to packing for you and your wife and how much gets sacrificed of yours along the way as you're doing that packing? Yeah, that's it's it's something I had not ever considered at all until I had to do it myself. And so this time around, so again, as I mentioned, this was my daughter's third time on a plane, um, all three times to Disney World, actually. Um, but now that she is two, uh, we actually had to buy her plane ticket. Right. So under two, you fly free, but uh, over two, you don't. Um, and so she had her own seat. Um, she was in basically a car seat that we strapped into the the plane seat. Um, whereas before, when she was younger, she just sat on our laps, you know, and we had a special seatbelt for her and whatever. But um, but when you are packing, you have to pack everything, literally everything that you can think of that your child may or may not need over that week. Um, and so I'm talking about toys, clothes, um, accessories. Um, if your child needs something to, uh, you know, sleep in a particular way. Now, most hotels have cribs, you know, so that type of thing you don't need to bring with you. But, um, you know, for example, our daughter sleeps with a sound machine. So we took one of those. Now, I mean, it's not very big, but it means it's just an extra thing that you have to to, to pack with you. So basically when my wife and I are packing, my wife turns to me and goes, you know that you only have a third of your suitcase for yourself. Right. And I'm just <laughs> like, okay. So going back to our first topic, which was just kind of me practicing with the singlet, those fold up real small. So that actually worked <laughs> in my favor. Um, but I'm not bringing multiple pairs of this, that, and the other thing. You know, I only brought literally one pair of shoes um, and like $3 flip-flops that I crammed in the corner because I couldn't bring anything extra. You know, normally I would bring multiple hats and things of that nature. Not, didn't bring anything of that because I basically crammed my, um, my, my singlets, one collared shirt if we went somewhere nice for dinner, a couple of pairs of shorts, um, like into the corner of a suitcase and the rest of it was uh, toys, uh, a sleep pod for her, diapers, um, you know, all of that type of stuff. So it became like a um, that type of thing that it was like, okay, who has space in here for her, uh, her, her baba, which is her little stuffed lamb that she brings everywhere with her, you know, who has room for that as we're like packing everything. Um, because I mean, you literally need anything that you can think of. So all our different types of toys, books, you know, you name it, all of that type of stuff. And in theory, we could have, because she bought her own ticket, she could have had her own checked bag. Right. Right. Like we paid for that ability. However, then we, let's be real, I have to carry it. So it's one of those <laughs> that like, do you really need to do that when no, I just, you know, I, I had a carry on, quote unquote, carry on, but it was just basically her stuff that we would may or may not use on the plane or bus or shuttle or whatever to entertain her, you know, while she was, hmm. um, you know, while she was traveling. The other thing that you have to think of, and this is dependent on the age of your child is, um, and dependent on what kind of, uh, you know, whether you uh, are, are breastfeeding your child or using formula or whatever, 
um, because there's obviously all of these liquid restrictions on mm, on airplanes. Of course, of course. They do have milk and formula exceptions, so you can you can take those with you. But that has to be in a separate bag because that doesn't go through the X-ray machine. That goes off to the side. An airport security person opens it. All of this type of stuff, you know, goes through it. Kind of looks at it and goes like, "Yeah, that's milk." But you, <laughs> know, it, you know, and yeah. <laughs> uh, but then. Uh, but then goes and then goes from there. So I mean, there's all these little extra things that you kind of have to think about um, because you're really not packing for yourself. You kind of just throw your clothes in a bag and you're just like, yeah, hopefully that's good enough. If I forgot underwear, I'll buy it when I'm there. But the rest of it is really like you're, you're so hyper focused on 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 your child. The, the other thing I didn't even think about was the stroller. You know, the, mm. like the stroller itself. Yeah, because, how does that – is that a checked bag? How does that even work? So you can check it at the gate. Uh, so basically what you're allowed to do is we – you take it through security, but the annoying part – I say annoying. It's an extra step, but I completely understand why they do it. Um, is you basically have to deconstruct the entire stroller. So take the seat off, take everything off. You send everything through there. They basically roll the frame through – uh, the metal detector, uh, you reassemble it back together, and then we we have a stroller bag that we can you know collapse the stroller and put it in. But you can't do that until you get to the gate, and then they give you a specific tag at the gate, and then they'll check it for you there, um, because then obviously you're going to use it in the airport, of course. Um, so we so you have to do that as well. But then again, that's an extra bag. You know, that's an extra thing in security. So there we are in the security line. Yeah, there's you know, our suitcases are gone, but we have, you know, three carry ons, a stroller, a milk <laughs> bag, like all this type of stuff. We're probably those people in line that the people are just like, Jesus, how long are these guys going to take? Um, and it's funny because that is, to some extent, life with a kid. Like what you're describing is me going to the grocery store, you know, is like <laughs> three bags of toys and formula <laughs> and all kinds of stuff, um, you know, to use for a crying moment in the car. You just you're just at in a constant state of being weighed down by stuff. So let me ask you, though, when you got on the plane, you had, you know, all of this stuff for distracting her. Um, how well did that work? Were you able to prevent the the mythical crying baby on the plane? So I guess I'll I'll, I'll back up and say one other thing uh, kind of about that, which is something I also had never considered, which is picking when you fly. Mm. Like in previous, so my wife and I are, we are Disney fanatics. So we go, well, we did go obviously pre-pandemic all the time, you know, twice a year probably. Um, we would go and fly like first thing in the morning, right? We'd be on the 5 a.m. flight out because then we could get to Orlando by 8 and be in the park by 9, right? Like that's, we're not going to waste a day. Um, and same thing on the back end. We flew out of Orlando at 10 p.m. because we didn't care if we got in at 1 in the morning. We wanted to spend that entire day in the park. But now there's nap time, bedtime, meal time. Mm. There's all those things to factor in, right? So we... When we were booking our flight, we were like, "Ugh, do you think she's going to be able to sleep through that? Or do you think we're going to be able to wake her up and then get her back to sleep for that? So we actually flew out early. So we actually woke her up very early, um, you know, as quiet as we could, you know, got her into her car seat and that type of thing. And then hopefully and then thankfully she did fall asleep on the plane. Um, but that was something that I also hadn't considered because we were like, yeah, let's just pick that flight. That's no big deal. But then we're just like, well. 
how does that work for our daughter, right? Or, or that type of thing. So those little things, as I'm sure there are everything with parenting, you know, all of a sudden these decisions you make, you obviously have to factor in now this tiny human that is part of your life. And so just flying and picking a flight time is something that like, you know, didn't even, didn't even cross my mind. But going back to your uh, original question, which was on the plane. Thank goodness for us again, we picked a time where we capitalized on her sleep pattern. So we, once we got her onto the plane, we we're actually able to give her a bottle that kept her re relatively content for the entire trip. Um, so we were very lucky both ways um, to and from Orlando um, in that way that we basically had her in her morning nap time and at bedtime is kind of when takeoff-ish would be. Um, so we kind of planned it that way. So we were very, very lucky. Um, during our flight there at the very end during landing, we had some rough moments just because if you've ever flown on a plane, you know, when you're kind of, you know, uh, ascending and descending altitude, your ears pop and all that good stuff. So our daughter had a little bit of trouble with that, but, uh, but otherwise she was, uh, she was a trooper. We were able to distract her with books. Um, we had an iPad with some of our favorite TV shows already downloaded in like our back pocket in case we needed it. We did have to use it one time, but I mean, on a plane, all bets are off, right? Like you're just, you're just trying to right. keep that child, um, as comfy as you can because, um, you know, Don't you let want the them bomb to be go off, basically. right, right. Because the, like, if it does, there's nothing you can do, <laughs> right? Like there's, you are 30,000 feet in the air. You are stuck. And so like <laughs> now being through what I've been through um, and, and, and that being said, we haven't even had any meltdowns, you know, uh, but I have so much respect for those parents of crying kids on planes. Not that it ever really bothered me. Like I was never that person that was just like, could you quiet it down back there? Like, you know, I was never that person. Um, but now, oh my goodness. Because like if, I mean, Chris, you know, like if sometimes they just cry for no goddamn reason. And <laughs> so now you're sitting there and you're trying everything under the sun to, you know, like, oh, diaper change. No, hungry. No, uh, teething. No, uh, are you sure you're not hungry? No. You sure you didn't poop? No. Okay. Like, and you're going through all these things, you know, you bring out every single rattle and toy and book and, and whatever you sing every song, you know, um, and then eventually they fall asleep and you think they just got bored of you after a while. You know, it's not actually cause you did anything. It's just cause you, you tired them out somehow. Um, you know, and that type of thing, we had a, a smaller child who was in the row behind us with, with mom and dad on the way to Orlando, who was having a bit of a rough time. And, so you uh, were golden. Oh man, that was the prime situation because you had the attention suck behind you. You had behind you, the person that everyone around you was turning their head around with those sly eyes being like, mm -hmm. and you can be the two that are like, no, no, we, we've got the good child here. Yeah. That was golden. You, you planned that obviously. Absolutely. Um, but I mean, they kept, um, I remember the, the, the father was sitting right behind me. So I was in the aisle and, uh, was sitting right behind me and the kid was like moving all about and then would like hit my seat a bunch of times. And he was like, sir, I'm really sorry. And I, I literally turned around and I was just like, man, like you have no reason to apologize to me. I've been exactly where you are. Like, Heck, like, look at, I know, I, I realize I'm pointing at my child who is not making a sound, but I was like, I get it. Like, don't, 
don't worry. And um, he even turned around and talked to the the mom for a minute because like we could hear the mom being like, I think I'm going to have a panic attack because like the <laughs> because the the kid just wasn't calming down. And um, and my daughter, as as cute as she is, doesn't know when to mind her own business all the time. And she's like, oh, baby, sad. <laughs> and like, of course, just like everybody heard it like around us or whatever. Uh, I mean, super adorable, of course. But then it's just like so anyway. But uh, no, I, I have so much so much respect um, for for parents who, who have had to deal with that. And if I ever turned around with sly eyes at any of you parents out there on an airplane, I sincerely apologize because I now live it. And uh, I don't think my wife or I slept a wink on the plane because we literally just like white knuckled the whole time to just be like, please don't cry, please don't cry, please don't cry, please don't yeah. cry. But, uh, but I like I said, A plus grade overall. So it exceeded my expectations in every way. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, to me, that that's absolutely my biggest fear. Like, I think my biggest fear just, just for me, Chris walking around in life is that, you know, as a Canadian of a certain age, I just want to be completely not seen, noticed to stand out in any kind of embarrassment. You don't want to ripple anything. (laughs) Yeah. You just want to, you just want everybody to get along and us all to get where we want to get with no, um, no drama along the way. So just the idea of basically having attached to me a noise machine that I have no control over is a little bit terrible. But it's like, it's like a flashing siren. Like, <laughs> yeah, like you know, yeah. a noise machine kind of could yeah. sounds like there is a soothing option to it. Nah. <laughs> no, this is, this is an ambulance fire truck, star destroyer, like heat seeking <laughs> missile. All at the same time. Uh, that also. And then poops. as soon as it goes, you just walk around like, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry about this. Oh, so sorry. Like, can I? Oh, boy. So sorry about this. Oh, oh, it's good. Sirens off. We're okay, everyone. We're okay. It's yeah, it's it. it is every parent's worst nightmare. I'm sure um, that it, I mean, uh, for me, my worst nightmare uh, or I shouldn't say worst nightmare. The thing that stressed me out the most about the entire travel was actually in the airport. My child has no, my child is fearless and has no boundaries or personal space. So she wanted to go up to everybody. She was like toddling around, like just wanting to like very curious about everything in between the rows and everything. And I'm having to pull her back. But as soon as I pick her up, she like bursts into tears. So I like kind of have to half let her walk around, but like controlled or whatever. And I'm just like, you know, basically like, oh, scoozy, scoozy, scoozy. As I'm like going through these people trying to, or like, you know, the businessman who's late and my like daughter is just toddling up to him and he almost like creams her with his suitcase on the way by and like whatever. And like, so like I was that guy, and of course I'm the one who's chasing after her because um, my wife is the organized one. So she's the one dealing with like the luggage and like getting us on the plane on time. She's like, just make sure she doesn't die. And I'm just like, okay. Um, and then I turn around, and she's already toddled three gates over, and I'm just like, ah, son of a bitch. As I'm like having to like run after her or whatever. Um, and I mean in the most innocent way possible. You know, she like literally just like would walk up to families and be like, hello. And uh, and thankfully she's adorable enough that people are like oh my god your daughter is so cute and i'm just like i am so sorry and as i'm like trying to like drag her away because she would have like she would have flown to like minneapolis out of gate 106 if she wanted because she (laughs) was just so curious about everything but uh and then before you know it you're in the plot of home alone 2 i wish 
<laughs> oh, dear. Well, my friend, I'm glad that you had a great time. I, uh, I cannot wait to go to Disney World myself. And of course, I think more to come in our next episode as we uh, continue to discuss Disney. And for all of your Disney World fix, go to Dole Whips and Double Doubles um, from uh, producer Ryan, an awesome podcast. Well, Christian, what do you say we take a break there? Yeah, Chris, why don't we take a quick break here on the podcast? But make sure, listeners, you hit us up on social media, Dad Joke Loading Podcast on Instagram, at Loading Dad on Twitter, and of course, Dad Joke Loading Podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear any of your travel stories with your kids, tips, tricks, uh, embarrassing stories. Those are always good. Um, and even worse nightmares. Obviously, you've lived through them. You're here with us now, but we'd love to hear any of those. But we will take a quick break here on the Dad Joke Loading Podcast. Again, I'm Christian. That's Chris, and we'll be right back. Hey, Michael Spicer here. I'm a sound designer and a composer. Are you a D&D podcaster? Well, we got swords! Ooh, ouch. Spells. And oh boy, the creatures. <laughs> Hi, I'm Steve, and I'm a goblin. Need your voice altered? Just tell me what you want to sound, sound like. like! Robot? Robot? Tiny? Tiny? Demon? Demon? If you need sounds or music for your project, go to michaelspicermusic.com! Welcome back to the Dad Joke Loading Podcast. I'm Christian, that's Chris. And we started off the episode talking about the Olympics, which um, we're going to bring back for the episode just now. We're going to do an Olympic version of Countdown. So, Chris, as we were talking about on the uh, beginning or the top of the episode, we we're talking about kind of new events, you know, that came out, the different sports, you know, maybe learning about so many things, uh, so many things that are happening during the Olympics. And so I thought this countdown, I would do the top summer Olympic events. What do you say? Oh, I'm in. I'm in. It, it's It's one of those things that I'm like you know, we're in the Olympics mood. So naturally I've got like my top 25 favorite sports, you know, anyway, continue, please. So I will um, make a, uh, uh, preface, uh, or a, a comment right off the top that I am doing mostly sports that are not as traditional, um, as normal. So I do kind of have a quasi top 10, but for example, I don't have soccer on there. I don't have tennis on there. I don't have baseball or softball on there. Um, Whereas, not to say that I'm not excited about them, because I'm very excited about a lot of those, um, but they're just not sports. They're sports that you see more often um, and thus are not the kind of every four-year sport um, as much. So I tried to stick a little bit more with the every four-year sport. That's not true across the board, um, but that is where I kind of tried to go um, because I'm loving the Olympic tennis, but it basically just seems like a tennis tournament to me. It's like, yep. There's Novak Djokovic, there's this guy, there's that guy, there's, right, you right. know, so it's like, it's just the same people. They're just wearing their country's colors instead, um, as opposed to some other things. So that being said, uh, I'm going to go with my top five summer Olympic events, but I'm going to start with an honorable mention, which is handball. 
Mm, I'm not okay, sure if okay. you have watched Handball. It is basically water polo on land. It's amazing. It and is so physical. Apparently, it's like a like a legitimate professional sport in Europe. Oh, it like absolutely apparently is. Apparently, there's like like a lot of attendance at handball matches, and it's like a it's a legit thing. Yeah, no, it's 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 very impressive. And again, rules that I don't understand. And you know, they're talking about because they have you know in soccer they have you know penalties, right? You take a penalty shot. Um, so they call them. It's apparently seven meters out, so they have seven meters specialists and all this type of stuff, and I'm watching it, and my wife is just like, what does that mean? And I'm just like, when I find out, I'll let you know. Um, <laughs> but it's um, – yeah, no, it, it is it is very impressive. The men that play it are massive. They, they look like they're like a volleyball player and a rugby player had a baby um, because they're like six, eight, but somehow are like fridges, but still move like they should be, you know, on a gymnastics floor. And the women that play are so incredibly athletic. I mean, I guess you could, I could make that comment about any sport, but it's just, anyway, it's, it's beyond impressive. Um, and so honorable mention handball, but that I digress. Number five, the trampoline. Ever nice since, decision. Oh man. Absolutely. Ever since uh Rosie McLennan had gold for Canada in the trampoline, I have been all over it. And I say all over it when the Olympic happens. I realize I'm admitting that I watch it every once every four years. But it is so incredibly impressive um that uh I tune into it every time. So uh number five is the trampoline. Number four, track cycling. Okay, absolutely. Now, I need to differentiate. This is not uh, road cycling. This is not mountain biking. This is track cycling. Uh, so, you know, you're in the, uh, what is it, the, the velodrome? Is that what velodrome. The velodrome, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and so it is so incredibly impressive because it's like the short track speed skating of the Summer Olympics. You know, you're always waiting for that crash. Uh, or like, just like, you know, they're always in those little groups and they change positions and some guys setting up for a, uh, a last second push to the finish. It's, uh, yeah, it's exciting. I'm on, you know, I paid this, for, the, I paid for the whole seat, but I only use the edge, you know, like it's, it's, <laughs> it's exciting. So I'm this very is, excited. Uh, this is the one where they, they push each other from behind. Is that right? Do they get yes, each other? So, yeah. right. Exactly. So they do that in speed skating as well. But yeah, basically when they are, you know, especially in the team events, as they're going around, as you're basically doing the relay, you literally like push the person in front of you. Um, it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's craziness. And then, uh, when crashes happen, it's like, you know, it's just, it's cuckoo bananas. Um, so it is, <laughs> it is so exciting. It's like an adrenaline rush from start to finish. So, uh, so track cycling number three slalom kayaking <laughs> i realize i'm Great just getting decision. more obscure like as i go no this is but incredible like, sorry continue like, so i mean this is not to take anything away from like the k1s and the and the, the straight up kayak racing but these men and women that are slalom kayaking through rapids and they have to hit moguls and they have to do upstream things where they have to like literally turn and go against the current to get through this gate and they're like matrixing around corners while just the upper body strength that they're using to paddle their way through these it is absolutely incredible um i sat down 
Um, I think this was actually the day after we got back from our vacation and my wife and I were just sitting down to have a coffee and we were just, you know, we turned it on, like you said, the Olympics in the background and we were fixated on it for probably an hour because it was just like so unbelievably impressive. Yeah. So again, number three, slalom kayaking. Number two, synchronized diving. <laughs> nice. Now I know we Making talked about second this second appearance yeah. in this episode. Yeah, that's right. Only on the Dad Joke Loading podcast will you get two <laughs> synchro diving references in one episode. <laughs> to see those athletes, I mean, one of them doing it by themselves is unbelievable. For two of them to literally look at each other and be like, "All right, three, two, one, go." And then, like, walk, you know, do their little uh, routine up to the platform, and they do whatever four flips and three twists, and barely make a splash in the pool at the end, is absolutely unbelievable. Um, again, just it's those feats that you just don't understand how anybody actually physically actually is able to pull that off, um, and they do it with such um, precision and grace. It's it's unbelievable. So that's number two, synchronized diving. Number one, which is a full cop-out answer, um, is volleyball. Volleyball That's a is... good answer. I, I had that on my list. That's a good answer. I thought you were going to say like, and this is my cop-out answer, all of the athletes for being such wonderful participants in this glorious <laughs> Volleyball is just a more, it's a more popular sport, I guess. Um, but I was a volleyball player for a lot of my life. I played very high-level volleyball in high school and university. Um, so I think that's that's my draw to it is just to see how unbelievably impressive these guys are, uh, men and women. Um, I should not uh, differentiate there because they are just so unbelievably uh, athletic, skilled, talented, and my wife can absolutely – um, attest to the fact that when some guy comes unblocked and just destroys a ball um, or somebody comes and it looks like they're coming in there and then there's just this absolutely clean block. I'm the guy who's standing up off his couch and going, Ooh, um, <laughs> and my wife just like looks at me and is just like, what are you even talking about? And I'm just like, Oh, didn't you see the middle come over and the center did this fake and then they closed him off or whatever. And the three position was open. Like I'm that guy. Um, so whereas my wife was just like, I don't know, they jumped really high and I'm just like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> We don't have to like the same things. Um, so number one for me is volleyball. Very good choices. Very good choices. Well, um, listeners, we had absolutely no idea what each other's lists were. Um, we did not talk about this at all. Christian and I had three of the same five items on the list. <clears throat> Trampoline uh, coming in at number four. <laughs> Uh, number five, I had volleyball. This was cheating. I just said slash beach volleyball. I like them sure. both a lot. I just think uh, pairs volleyball has like this really interesting component to it. And then they're just like, oh, we can also just do this outdoors on a beach. That's going to be even more fun. They just like decided to go wild with the sport. Uh, so yeah, volleyball slash beach volleyball. Um, and number two on my list <clears throat> was canoe slalom. Uh, so yeah, we had complete overlap the ones that we didn't overlap in um i had a couple others here so my honorable mention which is one that i can't say that i watch a lot for entertainment value but i get very like wistful and almost um uh, emotional when i watch it is the marathon um you know because of the the 
you know, the story of the Olympic Games, what it's supposed to honor, the story behind the Olympics, the story behind the marathon, sort of the ancient Greek connection to it. I still, if there's one Olympic sport I remember watching in my whole life, it was in 2004 in Athens, watching uh, the marathon happen with, of course, all those famous things that happened during it. Um, And so I think, you know, it's an honorable mention because it's not my favorite entertainment sport. Um, But I really just, the Olympics to me wouldn't be the Olympics without the marathon. Um, So as I mentioned earlier in this episode, I also had skateboarding. Um, I think it's a really cool addition. I I really like all of these sort of X Games editions. I love the surfing. Um, You know, I've always loved snowboarding at the Winter Olympics, which of course has been established for quite some time now. Um, I just love those disciplines. And to me, they're true athletes. I don't see how there's any difference between that and any of the other Uh, sports in the Olympics in terms of, um, you know, being consumed and played worldwide, Uh, the preparation that it takes, you know, how how legitimate it is from a competitive standpoint. I think it's uh, pretty sweet. But the number one item on my list, um, which to me is just the single most entertaining must-watch TV of the entire Olympics, it is a traditional uh, sport, is the four by 100 meter uh, relay, track relay. Um, Mm. and, uh, to me, it's better than the 100 because it's, first of all, it's longer. It's like, you know, what, 45 seconds rather than 10 seconds long or so. Um, and I love that there's teams. So the entire American team versus the entire Jamaican team, Trinidad, Canada, you know, it's fantastic to see all those teams. It just has that, that tension, you know, that certain kind of je ne sais quoi. It's like the fastest, most incredible minute in all of uh, sports. So four by 100 meter relay. I had a few honorable mentions on there. Mountain biking. I love, obviously if we're, if we're uh, roping in team sports, softball, soccer, rugby sevens, all incredible, um, big water polo fan. And I really love the swimming events. And if I had to pick one, I'm going butterfly every time. Um, so lots of good ones in there, but Christian, we had a huge amount of overlap. And to me, the big two are four by 100 meter relay and any of the canoe or kayak slalom. That stuff is incredible. It's bananas. <laughs> and it's just like you watch it and they've basically just dropped them into a tropical storm. And they're like, all right, well, if you could just make it to the end of this course, best of luck with it. And uh, and then they do, and do and all these think, crazy wow. things and make sure not to hit those and, you know, do <laughs> yeah. these specific tasks. Because if you don't, we're going to penalize you. All right. Have fun. And faster than everybody else. Okay. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, anyway, that can uh, that will conclude our countdown of our summer Olympic events. Excuse me. But uh, moving on, Chris, we had a pretty exciting sports event, uh, non-Olympic mm. sports event that happened recently. And this was the addition of the Seattle Kraken to the NHL. Mm. And uh, as we are uh, obviously both Canadian born, we are um, then by uh, by by right. Uh, hockey nerds um and and so there was an expansion draft that happened and for those people who are not uh familiar i will briefly explain it um which is basically the expansion team is allowed to pick a player from all the remaining teams uh safe for one which was the vegas golden knights because they were also a very recent addition and so they were uh held off of the expansion list and each team in the nhl was allowed to protect certain number of players, um, whether they chose a certain number of forwards, defensemen, and a goalie, or a certain number of skaters and a goalie, they were allowed to protect a certain number of people that couldn't be picked, but then had to leave the remainder of their team open to be selected from. Then Seattle would go through, and they would 
select one player from each team. And so, Chris, that's that draft happened uh, very recently. So um, I'm going to start off by saying um, it, just kind of getting your general thoughts on it. And then we'll kind of go into our two specific teams and who got picked from them. But what were your thoughts on the expansion draft specifically? Hmm. Boy, uh, good question, Christian. I mean, <clears throat> as you've alluded to, this is one of the most one of the most entertaining and and fun things that you can possibly have for a hockey nerd. Um, and one of those reasons is because of the rarity of them. So in my entire uh, life after the age of 10 years old, I've only lived through one other expansion draft, and that was, as Christian alluded to, Vegas a couple of years ago. So this is a very exciting thing that doesn't happen very often. It's a very unique mechanism. It's unique to North American sports. Obviously, this sort of thing does not happen at all um, in most other places in the world. So it's a very unique thing. It's a very fun thing. Um, and so that would be my first thought on it was that they bungled that. They bungled the fun and entertainment and excitement of the draft uh, by leaking something like 26 of the 31, uh, sorry, 30 names. Yeah, nothing was a surprise, really. Yeah, so it was all leaked ahead of time. And so I found myself getting all psyched up for it the whole day. I was getting ready to watch it. I was It was like must-watch TV for me. And then I just checked the athletic, and they're like, oh, this is who they've picked. You can watch it later tonight, but this is who they've picked. And I thought, you know, for this incredible, amazing, suspenseful opportunity – They've blown the entertainment of it. So that was my first reaction was, you know, outside of the actual asset management component of the draft. Um, I think they just lost what could have been a lot of entertainment um, from an actual asset management standpoint. It was incredibly interesting. Um, one of the one of the things that um, really stood out from the last expansion draft, which was, as Christian said, the Vegas Golden Knights, Vegas had a new set of rules that applied to them compared to expansion drafts from 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and some saw it as very favorable to the team. Vegas ended up y- using all of the, those assets that were made available to them and using that leverage to generate a very, very good team with a lot of draft picks that they later converted into talented players, Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, and so on, after getting a very good base. And what that left them with was making it in this, you know, what to me was absolutely jaw-dropping moment of an expansion team making the Stanley Cup final against Washington. So Seattle had a lot to uh, compare to. They had big shoes to fill. And I think the rest of the league was ready for that. And so they were ready not to be taken on side deals. They were ready not to lose expansion picks. And I think as a result, Seattle was hamstrung. I think because the rest of the league uh, had a much better understanding of this very novel player acquisition mechanism the second time around, having been fleeced uh, with Vegas, I think Seattle had a much rougher go. And I think that showed in their picks. I was... A little underwhelmed with some of their picks. I understand why they didn't go Carey Price. I understand why they didn't go uh, Tarasenko, um, Landeskog. You know, I I, I get all of those. Um, Some of the other ones I don't get. You know, we were talking um, before the mics were on um, about one of their picks from Columbus, which was Gavin Bayreuther, a 27-year-old minor league journeyman. Um, who I had to look up, Christian. I mean, that doesn't happen that often. I had to look up, with no disrespect at all to Mr. Bayreuther, who is a much better hockey player than either you or me, has earned every place, uh, everything that he gets in terms of being a professional athlete. Good for him. But 
Seattle looked at Max Domi. They looked at the rest of that roster and said, no thanks. And they said, we can't even convert those to a draft pick. They then today lost Bayreuther as a free agent back to his original team. So they completely wasted a pick and got no assets out of that pick. And to me, I find that a bit surprising. So um, you asked me for my first impressions, and I've given you a five-minute uh, rambling spiel of fury. Um, <laughs> but I, uh, yeah, I, have, I would have to say I'm, I'm a bit underwhelmed um, over what is kind of a, to me, a mediocre to maybe slightly uh, just a very, very early playoff team. Eh, it's okay. What did you think? I think it was very clear, other than a couple of names that they picked. So I'm thinking uh, Alexiak, you know, they they kind of signed uh, to a longer-term deal. Um, Adam Larson, I believe, Yeah, Adam as Larson, well. yeah. Um, so other than a couple of, I won't say foundational blue liners, but I mean, maybe, you know, solid, you know, uh, first-string kind of blue liners. I feel like they went with a team of basically just young upside. Like I think their entire team was basically potential and upside based. Um, but I think that was also because, because of what you just mentioned, which was every other team now knew how to play the game. Whereas before maybe Montreal protects carry price. Right. Whereas now they're like, Nah, they're gonna. They're not gonna. We'll leave him open. They're not gonna take him. His salary's way too high. Um, you know that contract isn't worth it to them. Um, or like you said, Tarasenko or Landeskog. They're like, yeah, they're not gonna take him, even though they're phenomenal players, because they don't want to pay them nine million or ten million dollars a year for the next six, seven years or whatever, because they knew the contracts in a sport that has a hard cap. Uh, you know, we forget that I think a lot of these decisions were probably salary cap based as well. Um, so that a lot of those players might have been protected, which might have allowed Seattle or as previously was Vegas to then play a little bit faster with the rules and be like, oh, I know you really want to keep this guy. What's it going to take for you to keep him? And so whereas I think now that they knew how to play the game. I think that hurts Seattle, whereas I think if you flip them, we're probably having this conversation about Vegas, right? Like, I think Seattle, they would have been like, oh, well, they learned from Seattle, and now their, you know, Vegas is getting hurt as a result. So I think there was part of that um, involved there. But yeah, there was there was a couple of questionable choices, which I was, uh, which I was wondering about. Um, but overall, I think, like I said, I think a lot of it was they went with like young supposedly high character guys you know that they were potentially building a lot of upside now i don't anticipate to understand anything that goes through ron francis's brain uh and and any of the you know management and ownership of the of the seattle kraken but um there also was something to be said that i mean the entry draft happened very shortly after and free agency even you know uh, very quickly after that so i'm sure a lot of those picks were probably also made in mind with the fact that those two things were also coming that they were like okay we don't necessarily have to put all of our eggs in like you said max domi or or whatever it was you know and potentially 
hurt ourselves long term with whatever the contract or or whatever it was going to be, um, knowing that they had the draft and free agency coming up afterwards as well. Whereas normally, again, in every other year, right, we were talking about it. You know, this is the first free agency that hasn't happened on Canada Day in our lifetime probably, or at least that I can remember, right? Like we're normally free agency was three weeks ago, four weeks ago. Um, yeah. Whereas I don't now, remember, <clears throat> don't remember any other time it's never been on Canada. Day and before. so now the expansion, so if the expansion draft happens after free agency, now I feel like if free agency was on Canada day, they probably would have had the draft before it, the expansion draft before it anyway. But um, obviously with COVID and everything being pushed back, you know, this is all going to happen within basically the span of a week where we're going to have an expansion draft and entry draft and free agency. Um, you know, there was probably that as well, right? This was step one of a, of a process. But I, I will say overall, I'll, I'll admit, I, I was left there kind of with more of a, hmm, more than a, uh, more like Vegas, where when I looked at Vegas, I was like, damn, that's a good team that they just set up like right away. Hmm. Um, whereas with this one, I was a little bit more, puzzled i guess yeah yeah and i think puzzled is a good way to say it because you know for sure i mean i think you've alluded to it already part part of my natural response is well you know ron francis knows what he's doing like he's been a general manager before they've been thinking about this for like two years they've been planning for this it's not like he doesn't know or he hasn't considered something that i've considered i mean that just can't be the case at all so i think you know you very rightly as you rightly say part of when you see the roster, your first reaction is like, well, this is insane. What are they doing? But then your second reaction is like, huh, I'm, I'm going to try to understand why, because there has to be a good reason. And I'm going to take at good faith that there was a good reason that they did this. So I'm going to try to understand why and try to like solve the puzzle of why they did this. Well, um, and that's part of the fun on its own, I think. Well, it's like you mentioned with the Columbus pick. Uh, I, what was his name? Gavin Bayreuther. Gavin Bayreuther sounds like the backup guitarist of a British rock band. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He was on uh, he was on Kitar from 1968 to 1972. Yeah, or he yeah, he was the guitar tech from The Doors back when they toured <laughs> Liverpool and, you know, whatever, uh Exeter. Gavin Bayreuther and the Doorknobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now he has the cover band. Now he's just living yeah. off of this, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um oh, but i mean dear. that there there clearly was value to that pick and i realized I, what i'm saying when i realized you know they picked him and then he just signed with columbus anyway but clearly there was some at least upside to picking him versus max domi or whoever was left and whether that was a uh contract issue a um, potential, uh, I don't know, character flaw. You know, maybe they just don't think Max Domi is a is a fit for them um, or something like, you know what I mean? Like there was clearly a reason they picked him because I think we could all, I don't think anybody thinks that Max Domi, sorry, I'll back up. I think everybody thinks that Max Domi is better than Bayreuther. Like I, right, I just think as a hockey talent, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. But that's not, the reason why these guys get picked. Carey Price was the best goalie. You know, Landis Gog and Tarasenko were the best sure, players sure, available, sure, but sure. you're not just going to pick them straight based on talent because there's the cap hit, there's 
you know, the contracts, all Absolutely. of that type Their of stuff. Their age, yeah, for sure. Right. For sure. So, for sure. I, so there's got to be something involved there. Um, and yeah. so, and and yeah. and that's where I'm going to say I have no idea what it is, but yeah, I'm going to trust that, like you said, there was two years of preparation for this, and even when you know they got the list of the players available, there's an entire team worth of hockey minds that's sitting there. Um, so I'm not going to sit on my fan hockey fan pedestal and say, "Oof, I would have done this," um, yeah. because Ron Francis not only played the game for two decades at a very high level, um, but knows it extremely well. So I'm certainly not going to sit here and pretend that I know what I'm talking about. Now that pick might not have worked, right? They might have gambled on something and it didn't work, and that's part of the process, which makes it fun and interesting. But um, yeah. I'm certainly not going to sit here and criticize per se, but I am going to maybe. Uh, um, uh, you know, scratch my chin, stroke your, stroke your beard. Yeah, I agree. I um, you know, and kind of speaking about you know the, there's always a reason. There was a reason for Price, Tarasenko, Landeskog. I think what makes the some of those ones more intriguing, like Bayreuther, is like the it's not obvious whatever the reason was. You know, so I think to me some like the the only the only two potential reasons were that a Bayreuther who was about to become a free agent was essentially a like they were picking nothing. And I say that not out of disrespect to him, but they knew they were picking someone who was going to be a free agent and gone in a couple of days. And so to them, they just wanted to avoid everybody else on the Columbus roster. To them, a zero was better than a negative in some way. And that has to do with how they perceived some of the other available players like Domi, for example. And so that that is what is such an incredible mystery. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be a fly on the wall as you hear them talk about Domi and what they're saying and why, you know, why they don't think that they can flip him later for a pick or why he's a bad fit on the team or, you know, whatever the case may be. It would just be wonderful to be a fly on the wall. So yeah, expansion draft, really, really cool thing. Less uh, of a novelty, um, but something that's probably just as exciting was what happened just after that, uh, which was uh, which had a little bit more mystery to it, and that is the entry draft mm. or the rookie draft, amateur draft, um, which uh, which was a, a wonderful time. Owen Power from the University of Michigan being one of three Michigan Wolverines to go very early in the first round along with Maddie Beniers, and, uh, who went second overall to Seattle, and Kent Johnson, who went to Columbus, uh, I want to say at fifth overall. Um, so great, great day for the University of Michigan. But shortly after uh, Kent Johnson went number six overall was the Detroit Red Wings, Christian. Um, and they went uh, not terribly far off the board to go with yet another Swedish defender. Weird. Um, yeah, I don't know if there's ever been a good Swedish player who's played for Detroit before, ever. Not that I can um, uh, think of. Not off the top of my six, head. Six or seven Norris trophies. Um, so what do you think of that uh, of that pick, Christian? Well, um, I, 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 will, I will back up and immediately say that over the pandemic, I will admit that my following of hockey has been less than I would like it to be or less than I would like to admit. So... In the lead up to the expansion draft, uh, I that's kind of when I really started to dive into some reading, some mock drafts, some prospect looking up, you know, that type of thing. And a lot of the mock drafts I feel like had one of the Michigan guys that you just mentioned, not Owen Power. He was pretty solid at number one, uh, but had um, the Michigan guys going to, to Detroit mm, at right. six. 
And so in my mind, I was thinking they're going scoring because what Detroit couldn't do last year was score at all. It was <laughs> yeah. like it's been a couple of years, actually. Right. Yeah, like been, Dylan, Larkin, Larkin, it yeah, is Dylan Larkin is looking around and being like, what in the ever loving God do I have to do here <laughs> other than score five a game? Like it was. But um, but that being said, when uh, when I when I saw those Michigan guys go, uh, I was like, all right, OK, so I literally have no idea who they're going to pick now. Um, and I will admit that I had no idea who, um, who this pick was. Like I, when they were like, yeah, Simon Edvinson from Sweden, I was like, yeah, it's Detroit. They picked Swedes all the time. Um, but, uh, looking into him a little bit more, um, you know, he does seem to be kind of what they believe to be their, not their Nick Lindstrom, who was obviously who we were referencing earlier, but a, uh, kind of foundational franchise blue liner, on the left side, um, they already have um, Moritz Sider, who is uh, a right-sided defenseman who was kind of their other kind of building block that they're looking around. So I think they're looking to pair those guys up because defense, well, I mean, no, their entire team was god-awful last year and has been for a couple of years. Um, but defense is really where they struggled overall, I think, last year. was just not being able to possess the puck um, and really mount anything of, of note, which is kind of Detroit hockey for the past, well, I've been spoiled, 25 years. You know, when you play Detroit, yeah. you're lucky if yeah. you get the puck um, yeah. because yeah. they just hold on to it so well. Um and they just haven't been able to do that. So seeing that pick, I am, uh, you know, I, I am excited. Um, obviously, as we know, uh, actually, my uh, one, one of my really good friend teases me um, because he always jokes that, you know, when when Detroit signs anybody, they're going to stay in the minor leagues for at least a decade because it doesn't seem <laughs> like they make it to the big club forever. Um, yeah. But uh, so it, it'll be It'll be interesting to see how that develops, which I'm happy with. And much like we mentioned with the expansion draft, now having Stevie Y, you know, Steve Eiserman back mm, as the GM, mm. I have to trust him, right? Like he, yeah, yeah. in his drafts, I mean, he built Tampa Bay to be what it is. Um, and, you know, yeah, he didn't benefit from the Stanley Cup this year, meaning it's not on his resume, but he basically built it. Um, yeah, you know, and he a, built what what two two Canadian Olympic gold medal teams as well before Tampa, right? Um, so I mean, in terms and that of was in knowing, addition to him winning those things as a player, anyway, right? Sorry, go on, right? I was just saying. So I mean, again, I, it's one of those where I have to sit back and say, yeah, I'm not going to sit there and be like, really, Steve, you sure you wanted him? Uh, because he absolutely um, has to know what he's doing. So, yeah. um, so I I was happy with that. I mean, we also lost a defenseman in the. Uh, expansion draft. So Seattle took Dennis yeah. Kalowski, um, who was our first round pick from from 2016. Um, yeah, now, which is a little weird, isn't it, to think about you're losing that first round pick, and here we are hyping up this first round pick. Now I think Kalowski went somewhere in the 20s, whereas Edvidson went sixth overall. So right. you know, different caliber. But it does make you think about you know the long term outlook of these picks sometimes. Well, and I I mean Kalowski didn't really produce well. Um, you know, with uh, as as what you would expect, even a first round pick to be, you know, stable, you know, like or maybe not, you know, I, I think he was number twenty. Um, you know, you don't expect them to necessarily be generational per se. 
um always um and that's with any draft pick but i mean i don't think he really didn't produce at all and and wasn't really anybody that i think they realized was going to be valuable to them maybe long term so maybe they knew they were gonna you know they had a shot at defense and so they were okay letting him go but um but in uh, fairness not not selected during the stevie y reign either true if what we're saying is you know in stevie we trust then you know that that still applies you know um, he did a great job with Tampa and more at Cider, who you mentioned a minute ago, was a huge overreach at that time. Like he was rated so far lower on the draft list going into that. And they took him with a super high pick um, and they've been proven extremely right. I mean, Cider just tore up Europe this uh, this past year. Yep. Um, a lot of people think that he's a future Norris winner. So, um, yeah, I mean, you have potentially two of the best defensive prospects in all of hockey right now. It's a pretty, uh, pretty cool time to be a Wings fan, even if this year might not be as great. Ottawa also went for a little bit of, uh, of an overreach, and I've got some mixed feelings on this one. So Ottawa had the 10th overall pick, which um, is a fairly high pick. I mean, you wouldn't be expecting a, a generational talent, as, as Christian mentioned a second ago, but you, you would expect a very quality uh, draft pick. That's still a lottery pick, were, though. I'm sorry. It's still a lottery pick. So I mean, like, yeah, you said, yeah, you're yeah, getting absolutely. you're getting a very at least highly touted prospect. However, they develop is I mean, you could be the first overall pick and be a bust. I mean, in terms of what they end up in their career. But I mean, with the tenth overall pick, you are getting uh, the shot at a very very good uh, NHL player, at least in the future, absolutely. for sure. Absolutely. Um, you know, for example, a lot of people had Dylan Gunther and Brant Clark going in the top three, top four, and they slipped to like eight or nine. And here's Ottawa picking at 10. There's a lot of great talent on the board there. Um, and everybody was saying, you know, Ottawa should be thinking about a goaltender or a centerman. Those are their areas of weakness, maybe a right wing. Um, and we went with a bit of a reach for a player named Tyler Boucher. Um, we took him 10th overall. He was projected to be a late first rounder. I think the hockey news had him like 36 overall. Um, Let's say I, what him. I was looking at, I think they had about the 25th North American yeah. skater. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just North American too. So, you know, that's, that's putting him at a best case scenario, late first rounder. Um, and I'm going to expand on this a bit philosophically for a moment, but just as, as an individual pick, I have some mixed feelings. So he's a, a hard-hitting, very physical um, right winger, kind of like in the mold of Tom Wilson, a power forward who's uh, very physical, you know, tries it's to It's funny you say Tom Wilson. I had, I had Boone Jenner. <laughs> Boone Jenner, yeah. Boone Jenner, Brady Kachuk, even if we're thinking about, you know, players on the same team. Um, so I, I admire the type of player. Um, Ottawa has a history of drafting Americans, a history of drafting players from the U.S. National Team Development Program, and a history of drafting players who have uh, NHLers as fathers uh, or professional hockey players as fathers. Logan Brown, Drake Batherson, Brady Kachuk, you take your pick. Um, and here we go, Tyler Boucher, son of Brian Boucher, the goaltender when you and I were growing up. And so he's American, comes through the National Team Development Program, um, comes from a professional hockey family, um, plays the type of brand of hockey they want. He's a right winger, checks a lot of boxes. Okay. But your first reaction as a fan is to see all of that talent left on the board and they're reaching for a player that you wonder, could they have waited to take him later? And so what this raises for me is this kind of difficult philosophical thing I've been struggling with over the past couple of days, which is to what extent, you know, you know, part, my, my initial reaction is like, well, they're wrong. 
And then my second reaction is, whoa, 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 hold your horses. You're just a fan sitting here with a bunch of lists and prospect reports. And how do I know any better than a scout or our general manager, Pierre Dorian? And the truth is I don't. But if these are all consensus lists and every other team seems to be drafting around this consensus list, it's not that Pierre Dorian thinks differently from me. It's that he thinks differently from everyone else in the NHL. And I think when you do that, when you go off the board, you know, when you're in charge, there's nothing wrong with that. Go with what you believe in, but then you have to be prepared that you're putting yourself on the line. You're, if you're going off the board, you're, you're saying, you know, prove me wrong, prove me wrong. And you're kind of putting that challenge out to the fan base when you go off the board. So I think it's a risky move to kind of draw attention to yourself in that way. Um, I think Pierre Dorian has earned a long leash when it comes to drafting. You know, he's he's drafted very, very well in the past. And so I'm, I'm going to give him that respect and that benefit of the doubt. But, you know, he's put himself out there by going off the board. That's for sure. I still feel like they could have traded down. I think so. Damn, Christian. I think so. I mean, I uh, I have all these philosophical struggles, and then at the end, I'm like, God fucking guy, why would you do that? But it's at the end of the day, like we mentioned, much like we've kind of said multiple times, which is if they got their guy, they got their guy, right? Like I think – and so whether we agree with that or not is trivial um, because we could sit here and say, oh, well, I would have taken so-and-so and this, that, and the other thing and – um, again, you know, we can be here, our, our uh, armchair hockey GMs um, and, and, and say all of these things. But um, but I mean, realistically, if they've if they've put in the work that and, you know, like you said, we believe in them to put those choices forward in the best possible way, then I think you just have to sit back and wait. The other thing with hockey prospects, too, which I think is a lot different from, say, basketball or football um, is these are truly prospects, right? Um, whereas there are very, very few rookies that get drafted that play. Right. Right. And so whereas football rookies, like if you're a first round pick in the in the NFL, like you're you're starting on your team, pretty much. Uh or in NBA, if you're uh like if you get drafted in the first round, or especially in the top ten, like you are starting on yeah, your team right away, right away um, because that's just how those sports work. Um, whereas, you know, a lot of these guys are getting drafted, even, even if they're 19 or 20, um, like you, you mentioned the U S uh, national developmental league. Um, you know, some of those guys still, still go on to play college hockey before they even go to the NHL, let alone, you know, that type of thing. So I think hockey is much more like baseball, um, wh- whereas, you know, their prospects truly do take time to develop, which is the hard part, right? Because I feel like a lot of people want, especially for teams like ours, who for the past couple of years have been pretty bad, um, you know, we want that instant gratification, which we're just not going to get um, yeah. because a lot of these guys take time to develop, um, which leads me to my next thing, which was going to be Detroit uh, traded up uh, in the first round, we had another first round pick. They did. That's and right. They took two. I forgot eight. about that for a brief moment. And yeah. so uh, they traded up to 15 to get uh, Sebastian Cosa, who is a goalie. And they traded their their first overall pick at 23. And then also number 48 and number 138. So a second and a fourth as well to go up and get him. And now this he's and he's 18. 
So they got an 18-year-old goalie. Now, he played for the Edmonton Oil Kings, and he went 17-1-1 with the Edmonton Oil Kings. So, I mean, that's that's pretty good, uh, you know, Um, (laughs) but... um, but I was talking with my brother about this actually, and because the uh, Detroit also traded for uh, the goalie from Carolina, uh, so Nadelkovich uh, from Carolina, who was actually a Calder Trophy finalist this past year, mm, um, yeah, yeah, and traded for him, uh, and he's twenty five. So uh, Detroit lost Bernier, they lost Mrazek, they lost. Um, Actually, I think they – no, Picard is a free agent, so they might not have him. But um, So now they have a 25-year-old young starting goalie, and they just drafted this 18-year-old who, again, is not going to be playing in the NHL anytime soon. Um, you know, a couple of years minimum probably, you know, 18-year-old. Um, but we also had uh, our previous kind of goalie draft picked um, – who didn't want to sign with us, right? So Kevin, uh, I always blank on his last name. It's Petrozelli or something along those lines, um, who decided not to sign. So obviously now Steve Eiserman is saying, crap, now I literally have zero goalies. Um, I should probably do something about that. And so he uh, traded for one and then also then drafted another. So it kind of goes back to my previous statement, which was these guys don't play right away. So I'm sitting there going like, oh, okay, great. We drafted a goalie. But that's like drafting a wide receiver in football, right? Like you'd like the guy's not going to play a minute in the NHL probably for three or four years. Yeah. And, and, so, and I would say that's almost a guarantee. Right. Like, I, I mean, whereas whereas for a forward, <clears throat> you'd expect a small handful to make it, you know, to the NHL at 18 straight out of the draft. For defensemen, it's quite a lot harder, but you'd still expect, you know, Aaron Ekblad could do it. You know, a few kind of uh, very physically mature uh, defensemen will make it in at 18. I can't even remember the last time a goalie played at 18 years old. I mean, Tom Barrasso. Uh, did it coming out of high school in the 80s. I want to say like 1984 or something like that. It honestly, it is nearly impossible to play in the NHL at 18. So if you're Detroit, you're kind of SOL for a few years. I mean, you're stuck um, without a goaltender. And hence, you know, I think a player like Nedeljkovic, I think it's actually quite a smart pickup, I have to say. I think it's a really good draft pick. Uh, Don't get me wrong. Um, It's just one of those, well, two things, which is, I feel like from a Detroit perspective, it's a lot to invest in goalies at one particular time, Uh, you know, trading for a goalie and drafting a goalie when this free agent market coming up is going to be a goalie carousel. There are goalies Mm. galore who are open. Grubauer is going to be out there. Um, Hell, even uh, Ben Bishop. I mean, there's there's all these guys that are out there. I mean, realistically, Detroit's not going to be good for several years. So it's one of those: do you pick up a, you know, Devin Dubnik for a couple of years to, or you know, one of those kind of things potentially. Um, so I'm not necessarily anti the draft pick. It just seems it it was a very goalie heavy um, 
kind of weak maybe for the Detroit Red Wings, but I don't know. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's one of those, and that's the hard part, right? Which is we, uh, well, hopefully we're still sitting here when uh, Sebastian Casa plays in the NHL uh, doing yeah. this podcast, because <laughs> uh, that'll mean some level of success about all of it. But, um, you know, it's one of those where it's just like, all right, cool. Uh, that's a great draft pick. Um, yeah, we'll see in like three or four years if it pans out. You know, as opposed to <laughs> yeah. in most other sports, you know, there's some either progression or uh, more um, intentive or substantive kind of uh, realization of their talent sooner than in hockey. Um, kind of like in baseball, they draft these guys and they sit in double A for six years. Um, and right. then they're going to be like, oh, man, yeah, they're making the all-star team. Yeah, they were drafted in 2012 by the, you know, <laughs> Arizona Diamondbacks. And you're like, what year is it? Um, and <laughs> yeah, so um, in that standpoint, so it's one of those kind of, you know, hurry up and wait kind of uh, scenarios with the NHL draft, I feel like for the most part. But uh but uh, looking at it from the other side, if you're looking for more of the instant gratification, another way to look at the draft is to look at the teams that they came from, you know. So for Detroit and for Ottawa, this is like, well, they've planted some seeds and we're going to wait to watch those seeds grow. But if you're a junior hockey fan, you know, this is the culmination of those seeds growing. Sure. This is, you know, these are these flowers ready to go. And so just since we're here and since, you know. You know, this is our podcast and we get to call some shots. I got to briefly give a shout out to the three Kitchener Rangers who got drafted in the <laughs> NHL draft this year. <laughs> Top, of course, Francesco Pinelli, who was supposed to go in the first round. Unfortunately, he dropped to the early second round, but he's going to be loving life in Los Angeles, California with the Kings. Vili Otavainen, uh, who went to Seattle. I think it's really cool to have a player drafted by Seattle. Uh, Vili is way too good uh, and probably, unfortunately, won't be with Kitchener this year as he continues his pro career. Um, and then finally, Roman Schmidt, who went to the Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning. Roman is joining the team this year. So it'll be very exciting to see them. So, yeah, I mean, that's it's always another reason why I have really enjoyed the draft is to see young players whose career you've kind of watched grow and develop as players kind of have this graduation moment. And, uh, you know, so, so it, it's really cool to watch as a fan. And of course, congratulations to them and all their families. Cause it's a really important day. That's also another thing I really love about the world juniors too, not to get too off topic, um, is just, that's also like a Olympic style. If I can bring that in as well, kind of all-star tournament of all the guys that are like, yeah, they're getting drafted this year. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, in that, yeah. in that type of thing, because there's a lot of these guys from, you know, Russia, Sweden, Finland, uh, you know, those types of areas, Switzerland, even, um, you know, who, uh, we see these guys who are playing and, and, you know, scoring goals and, and producing for the, the, the world junior teams at the time, um, which is, which is a really cool thing to see as well. I mean, obviously the, the Canadian and North American players not excluded from that list, but, um, you know, I don't think any of us are following, you know, Dynamo from the, uh, you know, KHL or or whatever too 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 closely. Um, although I wouldn't put it past you, um, you're a pretty big <laughs> hockey nerd. But um, but yeah, it, it's kind Listen, of. Listen, I only have my Nishkomansk, um No, sorry, my Metalurg Magnitogorsk, uh, you know, alerts on on you know, uh, it's on vibrate only. So oh, vibrate only. Okay, something. it doesn't have yeah. the. Okay, that's good. That's good to know. I mean, it wouldn't want you to be full psychopath about it, but. Uh, <laughs> um, 
But uh, yeah, that'll uh, that'll do it for this segment here on the Dad Joke Loading Podcast. Uh, we'll probably talk more uh, related to free agency probably coming up when that finally hits. But um, we'll probably talk a little bit more about that. But uh, hopefully, uh, Chris, we can talk about these draft picks at a later time actually uh, uh, bearing some fruit uh, for our, our team specifically. And uh, as we always say on this podcast, I can't talk about hockey without saying Fuck the Maple Leafs. Uh, I'm Christian. (laughs) That's Chris. Uh, This is the Dad Joke Loading Podcast. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Dad Joke Loading Podcast. I'm Chris. He's Christian. And we are going to close things out with one of our absolute favorite segments, the reason we do this podcast, and that is Dad Jokes of the Week. All right, Christian, I'm going to start things off. You know, someone shared some very important philosophy, good life advice with me the other day. And I think it's something that as a dad, I carry with me. You know, two wrongs don't make a right, but two rights do make an airplane. (laughs) Bet you nobody thought that airplane. The Wright brothers, everyone, just so that we're clear on that. I don't think anyone thought those two rights were going to fly. (laughs) you know chris after an unsuccessful harvest why did the farmer change to a career in music Hmm. unsuccessful harvest career in music i don't know why christian well he had a ton of sick beats (laughs) (laughs) you always put the nice beats at the front of the roadside stand Christian, the future, the present, and the past walked into a bar. Things got a little tense. Yeah, (laughs) I saw that one coming. Uh, That's good. You know, Chris, I hate to say it, but I hate my job. All I do is crush pop cans all day. So depressing. Do you want to hear a joke about construction? Sure. I'm still working on it. (laughs) Terrible. You know, Chris, I was reading an article the other day, and did you know that of all the inventions over the past 100 years, the dry erase board is the most remarkable? (laughs) I like that one because the punchline just sneaks up on you. You know, before I get to my last two, Christian, I just want to briefly say one thing that I feel like I've thought about philosophically about the dad joke over the last couple of weeks. And as I was thinking about it, I felt like I needed to share it with you because I felt like who else in my life am I going to share the philosophy of what a dad joke is? I was goofing around with my daughter and I, I thought another component of a dad joke in the silliness of the joke is that it is a joke that a like five-year-old kid would find funny, you know, that has like a yep. simple, easy to understand punchline. It's not so dirty. So we think of dad jokes as being like from dads to other dads over the fence post, like you're kind of knee slap, knee slapping yuck, yuckers. Um, but I actually think a dad joke is a joke for a five-year-old kid. It's good, clean know? fun. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Speaking of, Christian, I ordered a chicken and an egg from Amazon. So, I'll let you know. (laughs) 
Which comes first? That's good. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, Chicken went with Prime, though. So I, I, I would say it's like, well, with Prime, they could come in. They could both come in two days. Um, uh, Chris, don't tell my wife, uh, but I asked my date to meet me at the gym the other day, but she never showed. I guess the two of us aren't going to work out. <laughs> hey, Christian, did you hear about the restaurant on the moon? No, I did not. Yeah, it's got great food, zero atmosphere. Wah, wah. I bet you Jeff Bezos went. <laughs> Dick. Million dollar a plate tuna tartare. Suck down that oxygen, Jeff. You know, Chris, you know what I hate? What do you hate, Christian? I hate when people say that age is just a number. Age is clearly a word. <laughs> Oh, it's perfect. I missed this, Christian. I missed this. Well, that said, folks, this has been the Dad Joke Loading Podcast. I'm Christian. That's Chris. Make sure you hit us up at dadjokeloadingpodcast at gmail.com, dadjokeloadingpodcast on Instagram, at loadingdad on Twitter. Again, we'd love to thank producer Ryan, Vishal Murthy, Michael Spicer Music, our wives and daughters, and you, the listeners. Um, because without you guys, we would just be two people talking into microphones. But Chris, I had a lot of fun this week. I hope you did as well. And uh, folks, we will see you again next week. 